Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 35, it is the 19th of May 22, and today we are looking at the fourth part of our Building a Christian Worldview series, and we're continuing looking through the Book of Romans to help us understand what's happening in the world today. So hi everyone, welcome to the podcast today. Just going to start with one or two links before we get into the Christian Worldview series, uh, just in case that um, you haven't seen these over the last week. Um, these are things which I, I pretty much put up on Twitter. If you're not uh, following me on Twitter and you're on Twitter, then um, the link is down below, I'm just at uh, Phil Saker. Um, if you'd like to, but um, I just put things up there which I see which are interesting. So just to draw one or two things to your attention if you're not aware of them. Um you know that the uh, the new World Health Organization pandemic treaty is being discussed and drawn up and even includes uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions, uh, i.e. lockdowns. Uh, it's a very worrying development about the way that countries that sign up to this treaty could be required to act in certain ways. And um, yeah, it's, it's really worrying. Neil Oliver did a really good segment about this on GB News. Um, he says this so-called pandemic treaty is the single greatest global power grab that any of us have seen in our lifetime. Um, I think that was a really is a yeah he's Neil Oliver is a great guy and um, I think that was a great uh, great speech great monologue. And the second thing is uh, you may have seen this week I mean it just the bad news keeps on coming about the effects of the lockdown but particularly about the effects of uh, on the the very young on children toddlers um, um there was an article in the telegraph said uh, covid lockdowns left toddlers unable to speak or play properly and i have heard this um in um anecdotal evidence um i was chatting to someone about this in our church toddler group the other day about how a lot of children have just not had the developmental time that they need especially the young and we know now how important and how fundamental those early years are when it comes to things like mental health and development and speech and uh, you know all of those things. It's so important. And you know, I just don't think we even have begun to understand as a society what we've done to ourselves, that we have a generation of babies and toddlers who have been, you know, were born into a world where they couldn't see people's faces properly, where there was so much fear around, where you know they, they were are not allowed to go out to groups and socialise with other children and learn social interaction, all of those things. You know, just what have we done? What have we done? And how you know will we even know the extent of it for, until years have passed? Um, so yeah, you might like to have a look at that article anyway, and I'll put the links um, to all of these down below. There was an article about the NHS um, spending its windfall on more waste and wokery. It's by Alison Pearson, also in the Telegraph. And uh, yeah, looking at the way that the NHS has been spending its money. And of course, surprise, surprise, the money has not been spent on more frontline NHS staff, on, on um, nurses and so on. But actually, it's been spent on management. And this is the problem with the NHS. I think there are you know, we've been out there clapping you know, a couple of years ago, out there banging saucepans and clapping for the NHS. But actually, you know, this is where the money is being spent. You know, the doctors and nurses are doing a great job, but the NHS as an institution is really 
failing us and um i think this is so important to, to say this is so important to kind of um you know that that people have got this idol like you know adoration for the nhs and it you know it got to the point where it almost couldn't be criticized where someone said if a politician criticized the nhs it would be a career destroying move and yet i think we've got into the situation where it's completely unfit for purpose and needs a root and branch reform i don't know i mean lots of different options for doing that i don't know what the best ones would be but it needs serious reform and we need someone who's prepared who's got the guts to say you know the nhs is failing we need to do something seriously about it rather than just keep on pumping more money in um, because actually the the money that we spend is not being spent wisely and well and I wrote a new, uh, the final thing is, I wrote a new blog post this week called Abortion uh, is the New Slave Trade. And this is something I've been thinking about for the past few days. Just thinking about the parallels between abortion and the way that people argue abortion just in terms of their rights. You know, it seems to be, I want my rights, I will defend my rights. And not in terms of the ethics of whether the actual baby there is a human being worthy of rights themselves um, and it, it seemed to me to parallel the way that back in the the days of the slave trade that people would argue for slavery because you know blacks were not seen as being real uh, people worthy of the same rights as whites and you can look at the actual arguments that people made and i've just gone through and examined a few arguments there so um, and there's a very powerful image i found you know the Josiah Wedgwood, um, the um, who made plates and, and pottery. You know he he made this famous image of a slave, someone in chains. You know a silhouette on his knees, and with the caption, "Am I not a man and a brother?" And someone put that next to an image of um, a fetus in you know an unborn in the womb, and I just thought, wow, that's so powerful, and I think it illustrates it so clearly. You know, that actually, as soon as you start saying in a society that one type of person, whether that be uh, other other races or whether that be the unborn, are not people, then that's where we've ended up where we are. So uh, all of the links to those things will be down below. Do have a little look if uh, you'd like to. But let's move on now to think about uh, the next part of building a Christian worldview. Hi everyone, in Sacred Musings today we are looking at the fourth part of the Building a Christian Worldview series and today we are thinking about the redemption of the world, that is focusing on Jesus and how God fixed those problems or is fixing those problems which came into the world as a result of the fall. So just to recap once again where we've got to, there are four steps in building a Christian worldview before we go on to look at uh, other things and apply this. Uh, those are uh, creation and the fall, which we've looked at the last couple of sessions. And then there's uh, the redemption, which we're looking at today. And that's all about Jesus. And then the final part is the consummation, which we'll be looking at the future, about how God is going to make everything new and um, th there'll be no more evil. 
Uh, that's in the future, and that's some. We'll think a little bit about that today, but we're going to focus more on that next week. Um, so that's the four steps in building a Christian worldview, and uh, everything in the Christian life really comes under these four things. Um, you can apply that term, apply that to any anything in the, in life really, and we're going to maybe think about that uh, a bit later on, as when we finished um, the the first four steps. So the first thing that we need to think about then is when did things turn around? Uh, we looked at how in Genesis 1 and 2, God made a good world. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we saw how the world was corrupted by sin and evil and under God's curse. So what happened after that? Well, in Genesis uh, well, 3 to 11, it was all about the spread of evil. So that sin entered the world, evil entered the world, and then it spread, if you like, through the whole human race. And Genesis 3 to 11 is where we find, um, for example, the story of Noah, uh, when God flooded the world because of its evil. So that's something that, um, that comes in those early chapters in Genesis. So what happened in Genesis chapter 12? And this is really the turning point, one of the significant turning points in the Bible, perhaps one of the most significant, which is when God called Abraham. So let me read just three verses from the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, um, when God called Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3. So this is God promising to bless uh, Abraham, or Abraham as he was later to become. His name was, uh, was changed. So What's going on here? Do you notice this is something which is really, really significant because it's a reversal of the fall. You think about it, it's a place to live, God's place to live for Abraham. Uh, he says, I'll, I'll show you to, to the land, I will show you. So God had given Adam and Eve a place to live, the Garden of Eden, but they've been banished from that garden. So God is saying to Abraham, I will bring you into a land uh, the second thing is uh, he promised descendants, said, I'll make you into a great nation. You think about what um, God has said to Adam and Eve, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Um, he said, I will bless you, which is a contradiction, not contradiction, sorry, which is the opposite to the cursing from the fall. And that blessing would extend to the whole earth. So it's a universal thing. It's not just for for Abraham, but it's something that would spread out uh, eventually to all all peoples of earth. So this is the turning point in the Bible. This is the moment when God says, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to start bringing about a plan to redeem humanity. I'm going to reverse all of the negative things which happened in the fall, and I will bring about a plan that will actually uh, undo all of that and bring it back to the way I intended it to be in the first place. 
And so through the rest of the Old Testament, and I, I appreciate that we can only skip through this quite briefly, there is a little bit more of a, a detail in the What is Christianity course on my other channel on Understand the Bible. But we'll just skip through this briefly. The rest of the Old Testament is full of promises of what God would, would do. So let me read you just two of those. This is from the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 36 verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So what's God saying there? He's saying that he's going to do something new in his people. He is going to basically um, put a new spirit in them, enable them to obey, obey him, to cleanse them from all of their sins, from all of their idols and everything. And he's going to move them to obey him. That was a promise from the Old Testament. Another promise is found in Isaiah uh, chapter 65, verses 17 to 19, another one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. So this is what he says. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. So here Isaiah prophesies of a, a whole new heavens and a new earth where God would make things new. And it's a, a, where there will be no weeping and no crying. There won't be any anything bad in it. And that's the whole point of it, that it will be somewhere where God dwells, where there's just everything is perfect and right as God intended life to be. And it will be in God's place. And that's something we'll maybe come back to this next week. Uh, but the mention of Jerusalem there is not referring to the earthly Jerusalem, but actually just the place where God's people dwell. It's kind of a symbol of that rather than the actual earthly uh, city. Uh, but maybe we'll come back to that later. So God promised to bring about something new. But how are those promises actually fulfilled? This is where we need to come to Jesus. Uh, so this is a verse from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All of God's promises, including the ones which we just read, are yes in Christ. They find their, their fulfilment in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Now how does that happen? How do God's promises find their yes in Jesus? Well, if you think about it, think about how our most significant problem is sin, is the way that we turn uh, away from God, the way that we rebel against him and we turn to our own ways. How does Jesus deal with that problem? 
Well, this is what it says in the New Testament letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What's interesting is that Peter here is actually picking up on another prophecy from the book of Isaiah, a very famous prophecy, but we'll um, gloss over that for the time being. But here, what Peter is saying is that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. That when Jesus was on the cross, what held him there, obviously it was it was the nails in a physical sense, but what really held him there was our sin, was the penalty for our sin. Jesus was dying in our place. You remember that the punishment, God's curse of uh, for sin was death. That death only entered into the world as a result of the fall, as a result of sin. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross, that he died for us. He took the, the penalty for our sin upon himself. And so therefore, the door is now open for those who believe and trust in him to receive what we originally should have had in the Garden of Eden to be forgiven and to receive new life. So this is what it says Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 24 in John's Gospel. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So Jesus said anyone who hears his word, hears the message of Jesus, that message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and believes in, in God, believes in the Father, has eternal life, has crossed over from death to life. That's how God accomplished it in Jesus Christ. That on the cross, our sins were being punished. But those who believe and trust in Jesus now have eternal life. And our most fundamental problem has been dealt with. We've been redeemed. That's, that's fundamental. That's the heart, the very heart of the Christian message, that we are redeemed through Jesus Christ. And you could say that uh, Jesus was actually like the new Adam. So whereas Adam, the first man, uh, he sinned uh, against God, he turned away from God, and that was how sin entered into the world. Through Jesus, righteousness and, you know, the, the everything good enters into the world. So this is what it says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass, uh, trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. And so this is the, the important question uh, that all of those who are, if you like, in Adam, which is all of humanity, are guilty because of uh, the one man's sin. That was how sin entered the world. But Paul says that anyone who is in Christ, he is the uh, the the last Adam. You know, he's the 
the new Adam, the one who made everything right, righteousness entered the world through him, that if we're in Christ, then we are not under that same curse anymore, that will be made righteous through Jesus Christ. And that is how God fulfilled those promises through Jesus Christ. And something really fundamental to understand is that Jesus doesn't simply forgive us our sins. That that would be that would be good enough. But actually Jesus does more than that. We are given new life in Jesus Christ. Now why is that significant? Let me read you a couple of verses again. So this is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So while we were dead in sin, that's the image the Bible uses sometimes, that we were dead in sin. And of course, what can you, what do dead people not do? They, they can't do anything. They can't raise themselves for sure. That dead people are, are powerless, they're impotent, they can do nothing at all. And that's how the Bible describes us being dead in sin. We have been raised to new life. And that was because we couldn't do it ourselves. You know, it was only by God's grace, by his kindness, by his love for us. Not because of something that we'd earned by our own efforts. And, um, and then as, as Paul says else, elsewhere, Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So what Paul there says is, when we believe and when we're baptised, it's like we're united to Christ in his, in his death. That's what baptism symbolises. I don't know if you've ever seen it happen um, in a kind of more water than just being sprinkled, you know, that. but actually if someone goes under the water and comes up, that's I was raised in a Baptist church and that's how it was done for me when I was about 12 or 13. Went down into the water and came back up and it's it's that symbol of dying and rising again. And that's why a lot of churches do it that way because it, it's a very powerful symbol and that's the whole point of it, that, you know, when when we believe, it's like we die, our old sinful selves die with Christ, and then we're raised to new life. And a lot of Christians, unfortunately, I think, only think about the first part. They only think about dying to sin, and they don't think about rising to new life. But actually, both of those things are significant. That Jesus didn't just come to forgive us our sins and bring us back to neutral, but he came to, uh, to, to not just die for our sin, but to rise again, to give us the kind of life, the new life, which we were supposed to have in the Garden of Eden. So Jesus died to sin and then rose again to give us new life. And that's something which we mustn't gloss over. That's fundamental. But you might be thinking, OK, well, that's all very well. But why is it then, you know, I believe in Jesus or, you know, and, and um, I still sin 
and I still suffer the effects of sin, I still get ill, um, still going to die. So why is it that people who believe in Jesus still sin and still experience the effects of the fall? Well, that's a really good question. And we're going to look at a couple of uh, more Bible verses about this. Um, it's a lot of the Bible in this session, and um, I do apologise for that, but it's such a big topic that I think it's it's really... I say I apologise for the Bible. I don't apologise for including the Bible. But um, you know, I'm sorry if it's kind of a bit a bit much to take in. But this is a very big topic, as you can as you can see. Um, so we have to say, you know, what Jesus came to do is not complete yet. So this is what it says in Romans chapter eight, verses twenty three to twenty five. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what we already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Paul says that we are hoping for what we do not yet have. So he says we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we have, if you like, the the first fruits, the things which are coming um, in this lifetime. But there is more, a lot more yet to come. So, yes, there are first fruits in our lives and in the world that we see of the redemption that, uh, that God has accomplished in Jesus. But we're waiting for more. And that's exactly what Paul says uh, again elsewhere. Philippians chapter three, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So Paul says that the Christian life at the moment is saying we don't already, we've not already taken hold of the fullness of what God has offered to us. We don't yet have it, but we press on to that goal and day by day we grow as we trust in Christ, as we pray to God, as we read the Bible and so on. We grow towards that goal and one day it will be ours. But we don't have it completely, if you like, just yet. We still suffer from um, sin. We still suffer from sinful desires and from the effects of sin, from suffering and illness and death, all of those things. But one day that will all be gone and we just keep pressing on uh, towards that goal. So if you're the kind of person who likes diagrams, then um, and those of you who are listening on the audio podcast I apologise that um, you won't be able to see this as I'm reading it out to you, but I will describe it. Um, this is really, I think, in diagrammatic form where we are. Um, I'll try and just extract this one and put the link to it in the podcast, by the way, if you would like to have a look. Um, but where we are. So I've just done a little timeline going from the creation through to the new creation. And there are two arrows on that line. Uh, first is Jesus's first coming and then near the end uh, Jesus's second coming 
and I just put you are here in the time in between Jesus's first coming and Jesus's second coming. That's where we are. And that's why where we are at the moment is a mix. Jesus, when he came, he brought some of the new creation into the present so that there are blessings available. You know that some of that is being brought into the present moment. At the same time, we're still suffering from the effects of the fall and we're still suffering from the effects of sin. So that's why you've got this kind of funny mix in this present time when things are on the one hand bad and sinful and evil is still present in the world. And on the other hand, we've still got good things happening and people are are still being uh, redeemed by Jesus Christ. It's because we're living in in the, the overlap, if you like, of those two ages of the old fallen world and the new world which is coming and will one day be complete, uh, which we'll look at next week. So I hope that that's helpful in just in thinking through. I, I think it might explain uh, a lot about the world in thinking, you know, why is the world seem why does the world seem to be so good on the one hand and yet so so much that you know so many problems on the other hand why is there that funny mix of things and and it's exactly this this reason so what does this mean for us now let's think um finish by thinking what this means for us uh, and especially as we engage with with what's happening in the world with what's happening with the government and um and so on it means that as we saw in the previous session, the ultimate cause of all of the problems in the world is sin, is is evil, and that is what lies within all of us. That means that, as we've seen today, the ultimate solution to all of the problems in the world is Jesus. That's the only solution that God has provided. There is no other solution. And this means that the solution is not government or more state control. It's not education. It's not equality. It's not the redistribution of wealth. All of those things are a smokescreen for the real issue. The real solution to sin, the, the real problem, sorry, is sin. And the real solution to that is Jesus Christ. And that we'll never make real progress unless we acknowledge uh, those two things. Now, I think that this enables us to have a realistic optimism about the future. Uh, I think it's a guard against pessimism. Now, people who think, well, things are just never going to change. They're just going to go from bad to worse. And that's because Jesus has come and he has defeated sin and defeated evil. He has died on the cross and he is bringing about the new creation. So we are heading somewhere and that even if it may seem for a time like evil is in the ascendancy, that actually it has been defeated. So that's something really important. Um, and we mustn't be pessimistic. And this is something I'm my, uh, if you like, my kind of um, temptation is probably more to pessimism. And I suspect that's quite common amongst people who've been sceptical of what's happening with lockdowns and so on. I think the temptation is to pessimism and to think, oh, was the World Economic Forum? Oh, there's this, that and the other. And it's just going from bad to worse. And But, you know, we mustn't be pessimistic about all of this. You know, God is still on the throne. 
evil has still been defeated. Even if we don't see the complete uh, that being complete just yet, we will one day. Um, the second thing is, though, it's also a guard against over-optimism, uh, that is, utopianism. So, you know, society can change for the better, and that pandemics will come and go, and, you know, we can develop better technology, we can develop better strategies, that, you know, we can develop better medicines, and, and so on. But we need to be realistic about what is achievable without thinking you know pinning all of our hopes onto one thing for example government overreach and so this is uh, this is that where we have to live you know not being over pessimistic about thinking it's just going to go from bad to worse but also not thinking that we can bring about heaven on earth simply by uh, doing human action but actually knowing that there will always be that mix of evil and good in the world until the new creation is brought about. I'd like to finish with some words from uh, Solzhenitsyn, some wisdom from Solzhenitsyn. And this is taken from a, uh, a I say it, it wasn't an essay, it was a speech that he gave called Men Have Forgotten God, the Templeton Address. And I'll put the link to it down below if you'd like to read. I think it's a real um, barnstormer. But he was a wise man who, uh, of course, you know, lived through, um, you know, what was happening in Russia in the early part of the 20th century. He saw the way that uh, it turned against God, how God was, it just became an irrelevance and what happened as a result of that. And I think it's well worth listening to him because many of the things that he talked about are happening in our society today. So I'm going to this is quite a, an extended uh, quotation, but I do recommend that you read the whole thing because I think, you know, um, it's, it's well, worth, uh, well worth looking at and reading. And this is what he says. Imperceptibly, through decades of gradual erosion, the meaning of life in the West has ceased to be seen as anything more lofty than the pursuit of happiness, a goal that has even been solemnly guaranteed by constitutions. The concepts of good and evil have been ridiculed for several centuries. Banished from common use, they have been replaced by political or class considerations of short-lived value. It has become embarrassing to state that evil makes its home in the individual human heart before it enters a political system. Yet it is not considered shameful to make daily concessions to integral evil. When external rights are completely unrestricted, why should one make an inner effort to restrain oneself from ignoble acts. I love what he says here that we so often think about evil as being, you know, it's a political system, it's the system that's the problem. You think even of, of structural racism and you think about how, you know, a structure can be racist. That's what our society says at the moment. But it doesn't talk about individuals really. And that's where Solzhenitsyn says evil is located. Uh, it first of all is in individual human hearts and only Jesus can deal with that problem. So he, he goes on. Uh, or why should one refrain from burning hatred, whatever its basis, race, class or ideology? Such hatred is in fact corroding many hearts today 
atheist teachers in the West are bringing up a younger generation in a spirit of hatred of their own society. Amid all the vituperation, we forget that the defects of capitalism represent the basic flaws of human nature, allowed unlimited freedom together with the various human rights. We forget that under communism, the identical flaws run riot in any person with the least degree of authority, while everyone else under that system does indeed attain equality. The equality of destitute slaves. This eager fanning of the flames of hatred is becoming the mark of today's free world. Indeed, the broader the personal freedoms are, the higher the level of prosperity or even of abundance, the more vehement, paradoxically, does this blind hatred become. This contemporary developed West thus demonstrates by its own example that human salvation can be found neither in the profusion of material goods nor in merely making money. I think that's a fantastic paragraph there, saying that actually the problem is not a particular system, i.e. capitalism, but that capitalism simply exposes the basic flaws in human nature, i.e. our basic sinfulness, our selfishness. And that uh, this hatred that he's talking about, you know, that um, it's so easy. If you think that there is a, um, the problem is the system, then you start to hate. And, you know, if you think that you're a victim, if you think that you're basically basically perfect or not, not very evil anyway, then you'll hate people who you think are causing the problems. And I just think this is so prescient because hatred seems to be, a defining mark of where we are when it comes to, to woke. You know, it, a woke seems to hate anyone who isn't woke and who who doesn't want, you know, to, to go down that particular route. And it says, you know, you know you're the problem. And uh, even a hatred for ourselves, as um, Douglas Murray in his book, you know, The War on the West, released recently, is talking about, you know, we just hate ourselves. And um, it's, it's, it's hatred all over. And that's what Solzhenitsyn says when we forget God. So the final thing then, the final uh, part of this quotation that I'll read today. With such global events looming over us like mountains, nay, like entire mountain ranges, it may seem incongruous and inappropriate to recall that the primary key to our being or non-being resides in each individual human heart, in the heart's preference for specific good or evil. Yet this remains true even today, and it is, in fact, the most reliable key we have. The social theories that promised so much have demonstrated their bankruptcy, leaving us at a dead end. The free people of the West could reasonably have been expected to realise that they are beset by numerous freely nurtured falsehoods, and not to allow lies to be foisted upon them so easily. All attempts to find a way out of the plight of today's world are fruitless, unless we redirect our consciousness in repentance to the creator of all. Without this, no exit will be illumined, and we shall seek it in vain. The resources we have set aside for ourselves are too impoverished for the task. We must first recognise the horror perpetrated not by some outside force, not by class or national enemies, but within each of us individually, and within every society. This is especially true of a free and highly developed society, for here, in particular, we have surely brought everything upon ourselves of our own free will. We ourselves, 
in our daily unthinking selfishness are pulling tight that noose. That's powerful, isn't it? We're pulling tight the noose upon ourselves. And the solution is found not in systems or class or governments, but is actually found in Jesus Christ. He is the only solution. So I think that's a wonderful essay. Men have forgotten God. Uh, I say essay, but an address that Solzhenitsyn gave. And you can read it. And I, I do recommend that everyone reads it in uh, in thinking, thinking through uh, what it means really that the only solution that we have is not found in ourselves but found in God and to him we have to look as a society if we want to make any progress. So thank you uh, everyone for joining me uh, for that. If you're listening to this on the podcast or watching the podcast on YouTube then I'll carry on now with a little thought from the Bible from the book of Romans. If you're just watching the uh, uh, building a Christian worldview series. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. So let's finish the podcast today by looking through Romans, continuing looking through Romans, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. So I, I thought I'd just take it. Uh, paragraph by paragraph rather than doing um, an an extended section because there's so much to say about each little bit and uh, this is only meant to be a short thought. So this is uh, Romans chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Okay, well, judging other people... This is something which our society has become expert at, or, or some in our society. Uh, I think particularly, you know, the woke uh, aspect of society is very judgmental, and people who don't match up to their standards are cast out. You know, you think about what happened to J.K. Rowling, or what uh, people wanted to happen to J.K. Rowling. You know, she is too big to cancel. But uh, the way that she's been treated has been awful just because she hasn't had the right opinions. There was a also, um, I can't remember who it was now, there was a TV presenter. I saw about um, a story about the other day, an interview, where she said you know, she didn't want to present on TV, on live TV anymore, because it was too stressful, because you might say the wrong thing. And so someone who accidentally says the wrong thing on live TV could be cancelled, never forgiven. And all of this, it's so judgmental, isn't it? It's saying, you've said the wrong thing, therefore we are going to cast you out and we're never going to speak to you again. You will never work again. All of those kind of things, you know, you will be judged and we will we will pass judgment. And so this is why I think this passage from Romans is just so relevant. Because as Paul says, you have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For at that point, you are condemning yourself. He's saying that we are all guilty. We are all, as human beings, guilty 
of of sin in in every respect that we haven't all done every single thing you know we haven't all murdered someone for example at the same time we've all had angry thoughts and we've all had that desire in our hearts and we've all gone wrong in in all sorts of ways even if we haven't gone as badly wrong as uh, as others all of us do do sin and go wrong and and so he says that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. It says that the judgment that we were looking at in Romans chapter 1 comes upon all of us. And that judgment is based on truth. And that's because we are all deserving. We are all guilty of sin. And so it says when you, a mere human being, pass judgment, yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, it's so easy to look at other people and say, ah, well, they are, uh, they're the guilty ones. Um, and I'm OK. And I'm OK because I've got, you know, a nice house or a nice car. I've got money and, and all of those things. So I'm safe and secure. Um, but they, they are guilty. But this is, um, this is what Paul is saying, that do you think you will escape? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his, his kindness? Uh, realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So Paul says, you know, you may not be experiencing God's judgment just yet, but God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You're not to, to spend this time judging other people, but rather turning to him. That's why we've been given this time on earth, is, is to take the opportunity to repent and turn to God not to spend the time judging other people. And this is why I think um, this passage in, in Romans and the whole of Romans is so relevant to what is happening because it's all over society, isn't it? This, this judgmental attitude of saying, well, it's your fault. I'll point the finger at all of you who are, who are doing the wrong things. This is why terrible things have happened. But actually what Paul says is, no, 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 no. Take a step back. It's all of us. It's all of a sinful humanity. That's why all of these terrible things are happening. And that's why what we need to do, rather than pointing the finger at others, is that we as individuals need to turn to God and repent in repentance. We need to look to Jesus, as we were thinking about in the Building a Christian Worldview section today. So it's just another way of saying that, you know, we are all equally uh, sinners before God. And it's not our place to to point the finger in judgment at all of these uh, uh, all of these different groups and say it's all your fault. But actually, we need to point the finger at ourselves and say, as human beings, actually, it's all our fault. And our responsibility is to accept our part in that and to repent and turn to God for the personal things that we have done uh, done wrong when we haven't loved God, when we haven't loved our neighbour as ourselves. So it's about taking personal responsibility rather than pointing the finger at others. And we will um, look more at this in uh, next week's section as we go through uh, Romans chapter 2. So I hope that this is helping you to understand Romans and helping you to understand how it is completely relevant to what is happening in the world today. And um, yeah, let's take a moment as we close now 
uh, the podcast to pray and ask for God's help for all of the things that we've been uh, thinking about. But I think especially as we've been thinking about Jesus, just to, you know, it's so easy to point the finger at others and say the problem is you, but actually realising that it's the good and evil is first and foremost a personal thing and we need to repent of the evil in our own hearts um, before pointing the finger at the evil in, in others. So let's do that now. And so, Heavenly Father, we know that as we look at the Bible, as we look at what you have to say about the condition of humanity, we do recognise, Lord, that uh, good and evil is in our own hearts, that sin and evil are uh, corrupted our own hearts, as well as the whole of humanity. And we pray that you would help us to take personal responsibility for that, to turn to Christ day by day, and not to point the finger at others, but to realise that we are all in the same boat, under the same condition, as those who need you, who need Jesus. And we pray that the message of Jesus would be listened to throughout our society as we think about what it means to view the world through a Christian lens. We pray that you would help us to see how Jesus is the solution to everything and that uh, that message would be more and more uh, widely accepted and believed across our society in the way that maybe it once was some time ago so we pray lord that you would help us to not just believe but to trust in this message and that you would help us to to accept it and to, to live it out day by day pray for your blessing upon each one of us and our families those we love today and pray for the uh, each one of us in the name of jesus christ amen well, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, if you're on YouTube, don't forget the likey, subscribey um, things. I'm sorry to have to keep mentioning that, but uh, it's the law on YouTube. If you're on the podcast, then um, I'd love it if you could just leave me a rating and if you've got time, a review, as that um, that does help. And I think um, the numbers have grown a bit on the podcast. I think it is helping. So if you could do that, that would be really great. And um, if you'd like to support me in other ways, then you can um, buy me a coffee. Um, I'm sort of freelance. So um, that's, yeah, that's really great if you're able to do that. And um, the link for that is down below um, in the show notes or under the description on YouTube. And do let me know your thoughts. Join in with the discussion. The comments on YouTube are open. Telegram or email sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, so do join in the discussion as well. So I really appreciate all of your joining in, all of your the community. And um, yeah, I hope that this has been helpful to you. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, but in the meantime, God bless. <laughs>